This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Welcome, everybody, to the first Power Sports Podcast of 2017. I am Jason Baffrey, joined in studio at the OklahomaTalking.co studios with my good buddy Eric Colvin, and we've experienced Christmas and New Year's, and it is finally the most important time of the season, racing season. Yes, it is. I'm ready for it. Well, and we are here as things have kicked off full force this week. We had Anaheim 1 for Monster Energy AMA Supercross this past Saturday. Also this week is the Chili Bowl, the biggest motorsports event in Oklahoma and really anywhere uh, right now in the United States. And so uh, let's go back and talk a little bit about Supercross. We had uh, we you and I had a discussion uh, not recording last week about our predictions for the Supercross. Of course, there's been a lot of changes coming into the 2017 season. Ken Roxon, who won the outdoor motocross season, is now with HRC Honda. Uh, he did very well at the Monster Energy Cup event in Las Vegas, and really. Unfortunately, you know, could have had a million dollars, but in the second moto of that event, he went over the handlebars and had a spectacular crash, which left him uninjured and the bike uninjured, but nevertheless ended his hopes for a million dollars. But he, uh, Eli Tomac ended up winning a hundred thousand dollars at that event, but Roxon looked really, really fast. So the predictions coming into the First Supercross of the season, Anaheim won, which is always one of the biggest races of the year, uh, was that Ken Roxon was going to probably dominate, and that's pretty much what he did. Uh, he looked very good in the heats, and then came out in the main, jumped out, got the whole shot, took an early lead, and just ran away with it. Now, uh, of course, other big names, the, the contenders, if you will, uh, Ryan Dungey, the defending champion, he ended up finishing second. He ran a good race. He had to make some passes to get to second. And I think Dungey is a very intellectual rider, uh, and he looks at the long game. He wants another championship. He's not necessarily worried about winning Anaheim won. Um, in fact, he's never won Anaheim won, which is odd considering all the races that he has won, but that's one that has eluded him. But he got himself into second. He kind of eased, you know, he was making some time up on Roxon for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think finally just settled in and said, you know what? If I'm on the podium, I get second place. Nothing's getting away from me at this point. You know, he obviously is fit. He's ready to go. And there will be another day that he will put the challenge on Roxon. And maybe he'll have to get a little bit better start to do that. Uh, Who was really impressive was the guy that finished up third on the podium in the 450s, Marvin Muskan. He had an incredible offseason, won several of the international Supercross events that those guys went to. And... um, looked really really fast on Saturday night and so finished third on the on the podium so KTM Red Bulls got to be happy with their performance 
Um, one of the other contenders coming into the season, of course, was Eli Tomac on the Monster Energy Kawasaki. And there were high hopes for him that after kind of a struggling 2016 in Supercross that he would really come out. He will have settled in with the team and the bike. He looked good outdoors, um, you know, last year. So the thinking is, is that he's going to be one of the contenders here in 2017. But he jumped out, got to second early on, and then dropped like an anchor. And, I, you know, I was watching the race and could not figure out what was going on with him because he was just falling backwards. And uh, we found out that he just had severe arm pump and no explanation. Uh, he doesn't know why it happens. Said in interviews that he's never experienced anything like it. It could be the emotion of the event, the new season, just all the hype that goes around Anaheim 1. Um And basically, he said, you know, I'm just going to let this one go, and uh, hopefully it doesn't happen again. But if it does, then we'll really address it then. But he ended up in fifth, which is not uh, not terrible, but not where he wanted to finish the night. I mean, I think he was probably looking for a podium finish. Other big names, Cooper Webb, his 450 debut on Team Yamaha, did not go quite as anticipated, I don't think. He, uh, He looked a little lackluster. And probably some nerves there coming into the event. And uh, I read an interview with him that basically said, you know, he got on the starting line with the 450s and looked at around at some of the the legends that are still there. And and I think it got to him a little bit. But, uh, you know, so he looked stiff in his riding and just wasn't the, you know, quick – seamless Cooper Webb that we've seen in the 250 class. And I think that he'll probably settle in, and and I still think that we'll see Cooper Webb win a Supercross in 2017. He's just that good. And I think once he gets settled in, that that, that he's going to be okay. Uh, The Oklahoma contingent, we saw some good performances uh, from Justin Bogle, who made his debut on the uh, RCH racing team, riding for Ricky Carmichael and Kerry Hart. And uh, Bogle looked pretty good at times on the Suzuki. Uh, and, and that team is basically the factory Suzuki team now. They are getting support from uh, Suzuki and from Yoshimura. Yoshimura closed its doors at the end of 2016. And uh, so basically everything went to the RCH team, and they made them the official, if you will, factory Suzuki team. Uh, and so... Uh, Bogle looked good, and uh, Blake is it Blake Baggett that's also on that team? No, Blake Baggett is uh, now on the KTM. Um, I just went blank as to who's who's uh, Bogle's teammate, but nevertheless, um, Bogle had a good a good night on Saturday. Uh, Trey Kennard, however, who was making his debut on the Red Bull KTM team really did not go the way that he he would have liked and i think anybody there would have liked uh he apparently had a crash in practice tweaked his shoulder a little bit he came out uh, didn't qualify through the heat race had to run in the semi went down in the semi but then was able to get back up and run uh get into a uh, a transfer spot to go into the main event um, but then by the time the main event rolled around, I guess he was just in so much pain that he couldn't make the make the starting gate and decided to sit, sit that one out. So we hope that um, Trey's going to be okay, and uh, we'll see him back next week in San Diego. 
and uh, he'll have a better performance. You you hate to see a guy, uh, especially such a light, likable guy, who is an incredibly good and fast rider, but has been unfortunately plagued with crashes and injuries. 2016 was just really rough for him. He made the change to KTM uh, here in the off season, and I know he wanted to come out and have a good showing. I mean, everybody would in that situation, and to, to have that kind of uh, um you know, kind of a debacle in the in the first event uh, has to really be bad for him. But hopefully he's okay and he'll be back and, and ready to go here next week. Um, we also saw uh, Jimmy Albertson um, on a 450, and he had some good performance. He won the last chance qualifier, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that he had to go through that uh, course, but, you know, did have good performance there and ran ran pretty decently in the main event. And, uh, you know, he had the uh, was on a 250 last year riding the Motorcycle Superstore Suzuki team leading that and then uh, Motorcycle Superstore pulled out. So Jimmy Albertson, who's from Shawnee, Oklahoma, um, kind of started his own team, decided to go 450 as a privateer. Essentially, he's getting a little help here and there. And, uh, you know, we wish him the best of luck and uh, hope that he has a good season. And I think it was probably overall a, a pretty good debut for Jimmy on the 450 at, at Anaheim 1. Shane McElrath won the 250 main event on the uh, Troy Lee Designs Red Bull KTM, and he looked really, really good. And Shane came out in, uh, if you watched the Red Bull straight rhythm during the off season, he looked really good in that event. And uh, I think he carried some of that speed over and he's got some confidence and he could be a guy to really keep your eyes on in the uh, 250 West battle here in 2017. So you think this straight rhythm racing, you think that it's going to become bigger than it is, or do you think it's always going to be like a like a support event to draw attention to Supercross? Well, I think it's just something, you know, Red Bull is kind of the, uh, I mean, they love doing these one-off events that are a little bit different, and I think it's something really cool that they've come up with, and I think it... Uh, you know, offers the guys an opportunity to get out and do something a little bit different. And obviously, the you know, the guys that are sponsored by Red Bull, I'm sure, have to be there. But it looks like a fun event, a laid back, uh, you know, a little bit. And they don't have to worry about banging into each other. And, you know, I think it's kind of cool to see kind of more of a drag race with some jumps uh, super cross drag race. Yeah, I think it's fun, and uh, but I don't see it. I don't see it becoming its own series or doing anything like that. You know, and I hope it doesn't because I think it's just it's cool as a one-off event. And obviously, uh, you know, you see some of the big names show up. I mean, Ryan Dungey was obviously there last year, and Marvin Muskan because of their Red Bull affiliation. But before that, we've seen James Stewart run really well at that event. I mean, he's one of the fastest guys alive on a dirt bike, and you know, so that that leads to his. Is uh, you know that that event is tailor made for James Stewart, I think, in a lot of ways. So uh, it's fun to it, it's just a fun thing to see, and I, I you know to keep some racing going through the off season. I'm sure the guys probably you know they're like we need a break, but <laughs> <laughs> I like I like to watch it. I also like to watch the last man standing that they have in Texas, put on by Red Bull. Oh yeah the enduro cross-country kind of deal. okay yeah and i really like that also but i don't i don't uh i don't see the 
the specialty event necessarily there's a lot of hype about whether it should be its own series or not like the x games and stuff i don't see it taking its place but i do however just like you said see it as as an event that brings people not only with television coverage and and internet coverage but also uh brings new people to the sport i think yeah and i that's one of the cool things because i i do believe they show that event on nbc so that's a whole other audience and and people may happen to catch that and go wow these you know these bikes are really cool so that hopefully brings more eyes to the either to the to the stadiums themselves or to the fox uh broadcasts of of supercross when the season starts so um you know overall i think the event saturday night was was fantastic you know i was just excited that we got some some racing going on and and i'm i'm ready to go i'm ready for the supercross season i'm ready for uh uh flat track season to get started even though we've got a couple of months before that goes and uh, a few months before daytona but it'll get here quicker than you can imagine yeah but uh, of course in uh well other news real quick but uh coming from the world of supercross one big name rider who i just mentioned who was not at anaheim was james stewart and there had been a lot of speculation over the off season as to, you know, would he land with the team? Also, his brother, Malcolm, who is the defending 250 East Supercross champion. Uh, both of those guys, without a ride currently, um, nothing materialized before Anaheim. But James Stewart put out a post on his Instagram uh, over the weekend that basically said he was really sorry that he wasn't at Anaheim. It's the first time in 16 years. But don't worry. Uh He's going to be back doing it in his own way, and we'd see him soon, um, essentially to paraphrase. But uh, I think, you know, if I had to read into that, it sounds like probably the Stewart brothers are going to come out with their own team in some capacity. Um, you know, whether they'll have major funding or be doing it on a, on a privateer basis, it, it remains to be seen. Um, there were reports in the off season of them being, you know, practicing on different bikes uh they were seen on suzuki's they were seen on yamaha's uh or at least malcolm was i think he rode one of the the uh, french um off-season supercross events and i think he was on a suzuki over there if i'm not mistaken but i'm not, i can't remember uh, exactly but um nevertheless uh, i mean i think the the stewart brothers are important to supercross uh they are both incredibly talented riders I know that there have, uh, you know, there's been some things against James over the past couple of years, and he had the suspension. And I, you know, what I've read about that suspension, I don't agree with. I don't think he should have been suspended for as long as he was. I don't know what that was all about, and who knows unless you're behind those closed doors. But uh, he is an incredibly talented rider. He is a a great spokesman. For Supercross, uh, I think the the of course there's the diversity element that he brings to the table, but his talent is really second to none. Uh, you know, I had the pleasure of seeing him ride when he was riding juniors, um, you know, riding eighty fives and and things like that, and you could tell then that he was going to be a superstar, and and he has become a superstar. And I don't. I know last year to see him come out and really struggle. I mean, he had that crash at at Anaheim one last year, had the concussion, and who knows what was going on throughout all of that deal. But it did not look like he was ready to race at that time. And I hope that if he makes a comeback, 
here in 2017, especially doing it, as he says, on his own terms, that he's in shape and that his head's on right and, uh, you know, he comes out and he can he can do something. And I think he's still fast enough in the right conditions that, that he could still be maybe not a contender for the championship, but certainly some race wins and uh, and 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 certainly make things interesting when it comes to the supercross season with the field that they have out there in 2017 i think he'll be a good wild horse actually you know or what a lot of people call a dark horse i think he can come in and and can spoil some points chases which i think is is always kind of neat um i'd like to see at least them have a satellite team ride of some sort Um, yeah you know we talked earlier about some of the riders uh managing their own race team right. and riding at the same time and all of that there's a lot of stress with that and uh there's just been a handful of riders that's been somewhat successful with that so i'd like to at least see him with a satellite team but you got any guesses as to who he would prefer to work with no i, I really don't um you know it it could be really interesting to see what he what he comes out with as far as choice of bikes and if they're if they're doing their their own bikes what brand they will choose and i would assume it will be whoever is willing to give them the most support of any kind at this point and so it it'll be really interesting to see what what they show up on uh when if and when they show up you talked about the teams i mean we've seen uh jeremy mcgrath be pretty successful with the team uh i think probably chad reed has been the most successful as a rider owning his own team um he closed the doors on that team at the end of um 2015 got the factory uh, yamaha ride back in in at the very you know last minute before the 2016 season and coming into 2017 i think he's settled in and and looking for a big season um a lot of talk about his age 34 years old the oldest rider on the circuit right now and uh but still capable of winning and unfortunately saturday night uh, he made the main, and I guess he and Weston Pike were kind of battling it out and did some bumping and banging here and there, and uh, actually Chad's bike got hurt in the main, and so he ended up having to pull out uh, just from the from the contact that he and Pike had. I didn't see it on the coverage, but they just showed Reed pulling off and then you know kind of sitting on the sidelines, which you hate to see, but I, I hope things turn around and... Um, man, he looked good at times, certainly in his heat race and even in the, in the main. He was running in the top 10, and uh, he he's still a guy, you know, and they, they say it all the time, you know, you can't count Chad Reed out. And frankly, I'm a, I'm a Chad Reed fan, <laughs> and, and I just think it's cool to see, uh, you know, somebody at at his ripe old age of, of 34 – you know, I think back to uh, John Dowd when he was racing and, and he was 34 and still competitive and, and doing really well. And he was riding a 250 at that time, I think, even. And uh, But for, for Reed, the kind of superstar that he is, what he has meant to the world of Supercross over the last, um, what, 16, 17 years? At least. Yeah, and uh, and to still be able to come out and be competitive and run on the top 10 and, and have the uh, his head on his shoulders and do what he's doing I think is really cool and I'd love to see him I mean I'd love to see him win another championship but if he he came out and won a couple of races this year uh, I think that would be cool for him and certainly cool for uh, the Yamaha team 
I do. I like to see a lot of the older riders do well. Um, it's amazing that a guy in his 30s is considered over the hill, but uh, there's been a handful of guys, though, that's raced successfully into their 30s. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he, you know, he's on par to, you know, take the i mean we're talking about like days of age now but i think mike larocco and i forget who else is on the top of that list but i think you know reed's probably going to overtake the oldest rider to win a supercross event uh, record at some point probably this year and uh you know I, I think that'll be cool if you could put your name in the record books for you know and he's not just going to be in the record books for that uh by any stretch but he's a hall of famer and uh but it's cool to see him still out there doing it. Yeah, with guys that are 10 years younger than he is. Yeah, in fact, I, I saw something with, uh, uh, you know, his teammate now is Cooper Webb, and, and I saw some interviews, and, and Cooper Webb is saying, you know, Chad Reed was my hero growing up, and so now to be on the team with him is, uh, you know, just kind of a, you know, blows your mind. I, I guess, and uh, so it's really cool, and and hopefully, I don't know what that relationship is, but uh, you know, hopefully, Chad Reed is a little bit of a mentor there in some capacity, and and I think he probably will be, um, unless they have any kind of incident on the track, and then that'll that'll change that'll things fix completely. that, won't it? But it's going to be a really great season. I mean, you got a lot of great riders um, that are really capable. I mean, I was really impressed with both Justin Brayton and Davy Millsaps on Saturday night and the performances that they gave. Uh, Brayton looked really good at times, and uh, he's on the uh, Smart Top Moto Concepts team this year uh, on the Honda and, uh, you know, uh, coming off of some off-season wins and I think an Australian Supercross championship uh, that he ran in what is our off-season. And, uh, you know, he looked really good. And, and Davey Millsaps, I guess, was riding injured and coming off of a cold or flu or something like that and he was he was running really well as as well so uh just some really great riders out there and uh, a lot of talk about the stacked field for 2017 and i think it's going to be interesting to watch and and you know hopefully roxon doesn't just run away with everything and i don't think he will i think he's going to have these flashes of brilliance and just sheer speed that nobody's going to be able to touch him. But I think over the long haul, uh, I think he's going to be right there, and I think it's probably going to come down to, to he and, and Dungey and maybe one or two others. Um, but it's going to be a, a fun year for Supercross. I hope everybody stays healthy in that series. I'm I'm ready for a not uh, Roxon runs off with it or this rider runs off with it. I'm ready for an actual points chase where it comes down to the last race of the year for the – top you know three or four riders yeah yeah interestingly uh, that doesn't seem to happen much in supercross i mean you know different guys have different years of of dominance and you know dungy last year what did he wrap it up with three or four races to go uh in the, in the season and and i don't know that he's i don't think he's going to be able to do that again this year because i think if roxon stays healthy um he's going to be right there and it's going to be those guys are going to be duking it out over the season it's going to be interesting to follow this year for sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, four-wheel racing, the Chili Bowl is this weekend at the uh, Tulsa Expo Center. And, man, you talk about one of the biggest races of the year. And uh, if you like midget racing, open-wheel midgets, there is none better. And uh, it's a who's who 
of driving talent that shows up to this event and you know it's i i think it's cool that it's in oklahoma um you know it's it's kind of our daytona 500 super bowl the whole thing and what's, what's crazy to me is i don't know d- does any of the oklahoma media even recognize it maybe the tulsa media does but um and and if you're just listening to the show we're based in oklahoma city so that's kind of why we refer to oklahoma um but nevertheless, it doesn't seem like we get it gets a lot of exposure uh, around here. But maybe it's just because I don't watch the the media as much anymore. But nevertheless, um, big names, you know, certainly from World of Outlaws, USAC, uh, late models. Um, I don't know if any NASCAR drivers are are there this year, but Sammy Swindell is back again this year. Uh, Rico Abreu, who has won the last two years, is is obviously back. And then you've got a ton of Oklahoma drivers from the Sprint Car Series, the ASCS Series. And uh, it's just going to be a, a great race. It's always fun. Um, they run all week long. Uh, just to try to make a, a main event to work their way through the, the alphabet shuffle and, uh, <laughs> and, and work to that uh, A main on Saturday night. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Sammy Swindell, you know, could this be a year that he wins it again? I mean, he's won it so many times before. And could this be the last, could this be the last time that we see him? And, uh, you know, could he pull off a win? Will Rico Abreu, uh, come back out and, and go for three in a row and try to tie Kevin Swindell's record of, of four in a row from a few years ago? And, uh, it'll be fun to watch. It is. And if you're out that way, it's well worth your time and effort to go to Tulsa and check this out. Yeah, if you could get a ticket and get in, which I don't think anybody can at this point. But No, you're going to have to scalp it out front or something. Yeah, yeah. But uh, always fun, and we'll try to talk a little bit about that in next week's show, about the results. And uh, I wish I were going, but unfortunately, I'm not. Well, you know, there's always next year. <laughs> I keep saying that every year. I went uh, one year, several years ago. And uh, it's a it's just a blast. I mean, it is it is motorsports heaven. You know, the last time I was in Tulsa, when there was a, a form of what that has become, there used to be what they advertise as a hundred main events, and it was like you said, an all week long event. And of course, I was uh, riding flat track motorcycles, and it was it was just unreal what you went through you had practice one day you had heat races the next day then if there were semis and you had to go to the semis that was the next day and then you had one full day of last chance qualifiers and then you had one full day of main events and it was it was organized chaos at least yeah yeah, and for you, especially, organized chaos. Yeah, well, you got to love it, right? <laughs> Some of the inside stories that uh, maybe we'll get to someday. <laughs> if the censors will allow it. Yes. Uh, so we've got a great year planned uh, here at the Power Sports Podcast. I mean, we talk a lot of racing. We, we talk some industry stuff. And uh, we have the great fortune of being able to go out and ride some motorcycles. And uh, if it will ever warm up, in uh, in Oklahoma, where it's been like five degrees and we got some snow this past week, uh, but if it ever warms up, we're going to go out and ride some bikes. Uh, we'll be back on some Harley Davidsons 
this season, and uh, we also uh, have been invited by Eurotech in Oklahoma City to come out and ride. And those guys carry Triumph, Ducati, and BMW, so we're going to get to have a selection of European motorcycles to go out and ride, and we are extremely excited about that. So that'll be coming up soon. And, uh, of course, we're going to talk all kinds of racing, both on a local level and a national level. Um, we'll be talking about motorcycle racing, the a- uh, I'm sorry, the American Flat Track Series. That's going to be hard to get the Yes, it will. Right there. Uh, that'll be starting off before too long, and this is going to be a great season, I-, I hope, for American Flat Track, at least based on the different types of motorcycles that we're going to see. It's going to be fun. Um, we have a race in Oklahoma City. The OKC Mile comes back again, and then we're going to be see a race at the uh, half mile at texas motor speedway in fort worth so we may have to run down there and uh, check that out as well Uh, and we'll be bringing you action from the vintage dirt track racing association Uh, they just released their schedule the uh, just a few days ago and uh, we reposted that on our facebook page so you can go find that or you can look for it on the vdtra Facebook page, and uh, they've got some great races coming up in Oklahoma and Texas, uh, and even a race in Sturgis, South Dakota in 2017. So if you're into vintage motorcycle racing, um, that's going to be a great thing to watch, and we're we're going to be all about that this year as well. And we're going to try to bring you some more, uh, bring a little more talk about um, some other forms of racing, uh, maybe get into some more sprint cars and stock cars and things like that. You never know. We we like it all, so it's it's whatever mood hits us at any given time. Yeah, and fitting it all just into what has now become an hour-long show. Yeah, because yeah, we just can't shut up. <laughs> uh, but let's get into, uh, let's talk a little bit about some industry news, Eric. Um, obviously, coming out of 2016 into 2017, um, we, we, we can take a look back at the industry trends for 2016 and motorcycle sales. Uh, but then there's some other big news that's come uh, come from an industry standpoint. Yeah, BRP, uh, for those of you that uh, don't know who that is, that is primarily Can-Am, but that's also SeaDoo, uh, is bringing a training center to the United States, which I think is is really good. It's really good, obviously, for, for U.S. jobs, but I really like to see out-of-country manufacturers come into the United States for for dealer training, uh, but not just for service training. Like if you go to a training center in Milwaukee, if you work for Harley-Davidson, or you go to California, if you work for BMW or Ducati, this is, this is an actual uh, research and development and technology center that uh, BRP technicians are going to attend and it's for advanced training uh in service and repair well that sounds great and uh it sounds like a step towards uh, bringing some manufacturing back to the united states which is uh is always a good thing when we've seen a lot moving out in fact i mean if you watch the news i mean there's been a lot of talk about um our our new president and tweeting things about toyota because toyota is uh, saying that they're going to move one of their plants to to Mexico. Uh, so to see another plant coming into the United States is is a good thing, and uh, not only for the industry uh, of motorcycles and power sports, but certainly as overall for jobs in the United States. 
I'd like to see this take off as a trend where a lot of the manufacturers bring training centers like this into the United States. I think that it'll bring a lot of jobs out of even a lot of the technical uh, training centers like uh, UTI and MMI, uh, organizations like that. I think that this will be a really good expansion on that. So I, I'm really anxious to see how 2017 goes and to where the job market goes with this inclusion of BRP leading the way. And you said this is going to be in Wisconsin? It is going to be in Wisconsin. And this is one of five uh, training centers, apparently, that is global. So it's really neat to have one inside the borders of the United States. Yeah, very good. Um, now, as far as the uh, the trends, um, overall, it looks like the power sports industry was down a little bit in 2016 uh, across the board and, and at d- different levels and different regions. Um you know, and I think probably because of it being an election year, that throws a little bit of everything into turmoil because everybody wants to wait and see who gets elected and what's going to happen. And uh, you know, at this point, I don't know that anybody has a, any better feeling. I'm, I'm not sure, um, and I'm not trying to make a political statement. Just with that, I'm just saying that it everything still still seems to be in a little bit of flux. But you know, it is only January and. Uh, we'll, Things remain to, to be seen what will happen with the industry. But overall, uh, sales were down just a little bit. And, uh, you know, we certainly would like to see those jump back up. And we'll just have to keep our eyes on it. Yeah. You know, with the, uh, you had like the Harley Davidson scare of 2016, where the EPA was looking for a soft target. And let's face it, uh, everybody seems to pick on the power sports industry. It's a soft target that they can hit and put a feather in their cap. Harley Davidson got hit with their Screaming Eagle products, but the 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 overall problem with that was in wording of how their products were being sold. So you've got these organizations that again are looking for a soft target, so they're looking for some kind of gray area to hit them with. So for 2017, I know that industry as a whole, whether it be side by side, ATV, personal watercraft, motorcycles, dirt bikes, whatever that they have they being the industry has gone back and regrouped and i think that 2017 actually will be a really good year and that they'll uh, keep all of these special interest groups at bay well given our the new director of the epa uh, in oklahoma attorney general scott pruitt uh, i kind of think that he won't be looking for soft targets (laughs) like (laughs) like that uh, in his tenure and uh, I think he'll probably be try- ho- hopefully taking care of some other things there and not be worrying about motorcycles in the power sports industry. I know. And hasn't, I mean, ha- isn't enough enough? I mean, that seems to be year after year, decade after decade. That's what, that's who they pick on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I suspect we'll see a change there if I had to guess. I'm way past ready. <laughs> <laughs> in other news, though, we've got uh, the top 10. Uh, motorcycles that seem to hold their value the best we have the top 10 for two-year-old motorcycles the top 10 for five-year-old motorcycles and the top 10 for motorcycles being a decade old so if you're looking for a motorcycle to purchase these would be uh, motorcycles from these lists would be kind of what you'd want to consider because they're going to retain their value better than some of the others out there um now, you may not get the best deal because they do retain their value, but 
uh, if you're going to make an investment in a motorcycle, this could be a good way to go. It is. And again, it's about what a person likes. Sometimes people will buy something strictly because of the of the retention of value on the unit and they get it home and they ride it and come to find out it's just not for them. It's not that, that it's not a good product. It just doesn't fit the individual the way they want. So I would say to do your homework and obviously take the information of what holds its value and see if that is what you like. And if you like that, then there you go. But if not, then for me, it's more important about the pleasure of, of riding, although if you're trading up or you are the kind of person that likes to change his ride up every three or four years, okay, then this right here should help you with your trade-in values. Yeah, and uh, this is from the uh, Power Sports Business, and Kelly Blue Book came up with these numbers. Is that correct? That is correct. All right, and uh, so as far as uh, – let's go with sport bikes. I mean, what kind of sport bikes are we looking at? Well, if we go to the two-year-old motorcycles, then you're looking at the Ducati 1199 Super Ligera. That is number one. Uh, number two, oddly enough, uh, is the 1190 RCR KTM, uh, which is a very, very neat motorcycle. But here and across most parts of the United States, that was sort of a limited production motorcycle. So mm-hmm. it was very interesting to see that that holds its value, I guess, because of being limited production, possibly. Yeah, so, I mean, is this list is is going to be do you think it's looking more at what is um you know the financially the best option um i think that has a lot to do with it also according to the article it has a lot to do with uh trade-in value with the motorcycles that if they customer took them back to trade them in for something different uh and sellability but kelly blue book also says that uh these motorcycles and uh, side-by-sides uh, are they're really easy to finance through finance companies okay one of the bikes i found interesting on, on that list for sport bikes is like there's like a 250 kawasaki ninja right a 300 oh the 300 ninja. the 300 ninja the 2014 ninja and here's what's interesting is that the the 300 ninja has an SE model that has uh, ABS on it. And that particular model was in at number three. But then the same year model, 2014 Kawasaki Ninja Standard 300, comes in at number 10 Hmm. for two-year-old motorcycles. Now, do you think that's based on, um, I mean, one, that's going to be a little more inexpensive of a motorcycle. I would imagine it's a good starter bike for, um, you know, your younger kids that start riding and maybe – parents pick them up and then you know let them ride them for a couple of years and then re, you know sell them so they can upgrade to a, a bigger bike I, mean. I think that plays a, a large part in it but another thing that i think plays a huge part in the motorcycle retaining its value is that in industry it was rated as a high mileage motorcycle not only for miles per gallon of gasoline usage but for maintenance and I think that a lot of people bought these motorcycles for basic day-to-day transportation to reduce their weekly and monthly cost of uh, insurance and and price of gasoline. Hmm. Makes sense. 
another interesting uh another interesting deal here is that MV Augusta is in at eight and nine, both with the eight hundred and the six seventy five. So it's I think it's it speaks volumes for what the industry is is moving towards whenever you have a company like MV Augusta, which is considered an exotic, make the top ten, which is based off of mass-produced motorcycles. Yeah, yeah, and I think obviously a bike like that is going to retain its value because it's it's a little more rare uh, around these parts. Um, oh, across the board, you know, because MV doesn't produce a lot of motorcycles to begin yeah. with. So uh, that's not going to be one that you're going to pick up uh, at a deal <laughs> by any means. <laughs> but if you have one, you can sell it for uh, you know close to its original value. I would imagine. That is correct. And when you said the 250 Ninja, oddly, that is uh, number one for the five-year-old motorcycles okay. is where you'd come up with the 250 Ninja. Um, and again, I think that that probably has to do with the reliability of the motorcycle. And again, it's a really good starter bike. And they're all, there actually were quite a few of those sold. Uh, could have been because of the, the Team Green sales that they had. and you. Yeah. And all of the special financing. Now, again, um, we're talking about the uh, list of of motorcycles that retain their value, uh, both the two year list, two year old and five year old. Uh, but we're do- talking specifically sport bikes right now. So that's not, if you're wondering, well, where's a Harley Davidson land on this list? Well, it's not on the sport bike list, but we do have a cruiser list. We do have a cruiser list uh, for two year old motorcycles. Uh, the FLHXST is what holds its value best for a two-year-old motorcycle. A five-year-old motorcycle, again, is a Harley-Davidson, which is the Road Glide Custom. And then for 10-year-old, believe it or not, is the Softail Springer Classic. Oh, wow. And Harley-Davidson predominantly holds the top 10 for two-year, five-year, and 10-year, both, uh, all three, um, with the exception of a Boss Haas. Yeah. Of all the motorcycles that would be listed, that is one that just absolutely blows me away. Well, I guess they're uh, such a um, limited and specialty type of vehicle that uh, they would retain their value but it's certainly not something that i'm going to be rushing out to buy (laughs) well you know at number three for a 10 year old another one that i thought was really interesting was the ural with a sidecar oh yeah well the urals are popular and urals are fun i have customers that have those and to be honest they're actually a lot of fun to they're not fast okay by any sense of the word but they are fun to to have and to ride and to travel around on short travels i don't know that i would want to go state to state although there are a few hardcore guys that do that but but when you have weather like what we have right now a ural would be a good bike to have if you just had the need to go out and ride when it was 10 degrees if you just had to do that yeah i guess that would be good me i'm out on that i'm more of a fair weather kind of guy you and me both and i guess that happens with with age or something but but you have to think about urals being a, a russian motorcycle they probably got used in the Siberia and things like that from time to time. I would imagine that the cold weather is nothing for that Ural (laughs) at all. 
Harley Davidson does for the cruiser and touring bikes. They do hold uh, most all of the positions. Uh, oddly, though, in the two-year-old motorcycles coming in at seven and eight and ten is the Norton Commando 961, which they have listed in the cruiser and tour bike uh, market. And I suppose that some of the Kenny Dreer or what is now the Norton Andover, Norton came with some light touring stuff but for the most part you had enough room to keep like a change of underwear and some socks and a toothbrush maybe yeah yeah it would be uh, interesting to know what their qualifications were for for the list but i don't think you could necessarily put that on a sport bike list so they had to put it somewhere uh, would be my guess now we know some people are wanting to know about the gsxrs and the r1s and the hayabusas now those actually don't come into play until a 10 year old sport bike hmm uh, for whatever reason, yeah. but uh, the Hayabusa comes in uh, at number five, and at number six you have the Hayabusa LE and the Hayabusa standard Hayabusa. Uh, then you have the RC fifty one. Then you have a GSXR one thousand. Uh, then the Yamaha YZFR one, and then coming in at number ten of all the six hundreds. It's the Honda. I would have thought there would have been a couple of other 600cc bikes that would have gotten that top spot. But apparently the CBR600RR is the one that has held its value the best. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, if you have one of those bikes and are looking to sell, now you know that you can uh, probably get what you want out of it. And uh, if you are looking for a bike and you'd like to find something that's more of an investment than uh, a great deal, then you might want to check that list out as well. Again, that's in Power Sports Business where we found that information. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Um, maybe next show we'll get into some of the new bikes for 2017, what we can look forward to. Um, I know there were some big announcements coming out of uh, 2016, like a new MV Augusta and a new Norton um, uh, sport bike that will be coming out soon that uh, there's a lot of anticipation around. So, uh, we'll talk about some of the other new bikes that were announced for 2017. Have you seen the new Honda? Uh, which, Have you seen the video for the new Honda? Which new Honda is that? There's a new Honda that is following suit for the BMW. If you've seen the BMW that is self-centering, and they say the BMW is to say if you don't need a helmet, and they issue these Google goggles uh, the, the to Tron ride with. BMW? That's the one. Yeah. Well, Honda has followed suit with something that still looks like the Honda Rune, uh, and in its commercial, it follows its owner like a trained horse. Wow. That's interesting. Now, yeah. I liked the Rune as far as a motorcycle. Well, this one has the the front of it looks a lot like a Rune. Um, the back of it is a little more cross between like the Rune and a uh, VTX. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you're not familiar with the, the Rune, the Rune was a motorcycle that came out from Honda that was based on the Valkyrie. Uh, so it had the six-cylinder engine, and it uh, was a little more custom-looking. It was a it was a really cool-looking motorcycle, and and having I've ridden a Valkyrie before, and those things um, they're fun to ride. They they've got quite a bit of power on them. The Valkyrie Interstate is the one that uh, I thought of the two models that that was really neat, and and they made a lot of power. 
You would think so for a big six-cylinder like that. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's essentially the same motor as that you would find in a Goldwing, and uh, you know, so made for the a big bike like that. But it was more of a stripped-down cruiser. Uh, was the Valkyrie, and then the Rune, and then the the Rune. Like I said, had more of a kind of a custom look to it and big rounded fenders and and everything it was like a a true prototype motorcycle that they kept almost all of the lines and style of that motorcycle and brought that into production yeah it was very uniquely different and the the gyro for the motorcycles now has become huge there's if you if you go online and just check out prototype motorcycles You'll see enclosed motorcycles that have uh, a gyro that holds it up, and you can get in it like a two-wheeled car. And then Honda's got one now that follows you like your pet dog. And isn't if you have doors on a motorcycle, isn't it the, therefore no longer a motorcycle? Well, you know, I would think so. <laughs> you know, two wheels or three wheeler, three wheels or four. But although having said that, I, I saw a video uh, over the weekend. I, I was just perusing youtube i think it was and i saw a video with travis pastrana and uh doug henry and doug henry suffered a, a crash went back when he was racing motocross and supercross was paralyzed but he has rigged a motorcycle um with hand controls and it has this cage-like contraption on it yes so he can go out and and ride and be somewhat protected but still go out and go dirt bike riding so he was out with travis pastrana um, you know, just riding through the woods, doing general riding. And then he was like doing, you know, Pastrana's got all the, the stuff to practice doing the flips and where they do the nitro circus uh, things. And so Doug Henry's doing like back flips and front flips on his his motorcycle with a cage on it. And here's a guy that's uh, paralyzed from the waist down who's still out there able to ride and have fun. And it was kind of funny because they had like um, – this crane contraption that Pastrana has to lift him out of the foam pit. So it just hook onto the little cage and lift Doug out of the foam pit so he could get going again. And anyway, I thought that was really cool, but uh, it was a kind of an interesting, it looked like it would be difficult to ride from a weight standpoint. I mean, just with the way that the, the cage was on the bike, but uh, anyway, check it out. If you're searching YouTube, I've seen that video and I hats off to him. Uh, there are a lot of people that, don't have that handicap that complain about something that is in essence is doesn't matter to anything and here he's paralyzed and he goes out and he's doing he's scrubbing jumps with this motorcycle and he's doing backflips with this motorcycle and like you said he's paralyzed so if you get a chance to check it out it's very inspiring to watch him yeah it really is and i mean doug henry was a great rider back when he was competing competitively um in supercross and motocross i mean he basically uh, led the the trend for the 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 change to four strokes i mean he had the first prototype uh four stroke the yz 400 f from um yamaha and was the first guy to come out with that, and he he won with that bike running against all the 250s at the time. And uh, I mean, that was really cool, and that kind of it made the push for to go to the 450 four strokes, which was being you know forced by industry and government, obviously. But uh, nevertheless, he was one of the first guys to come out and, and debut that bike and do well with it. That is true, and you actually had a taste of one of the 
first generation YZF 400s here not too long ago. Yes. I, luckily, I tasted just that and didn't taste the dirt. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've been uh, we've been doing a little uh, playing and practicing, and uh, we're hopefully going to have some fun in uh, 2017 doing some fun things. And you'll hear more about. Uh, um, Hopefully, I will have some racing exploits, and uh, we'll talk more with Eric as he the season heats up for him and the VDTRA, and uh, lots of cool things coming up here in 2017, hopefully. So check us out and give us some input, people. Let's hear about some ideas that you might have for some new and upcoming shows. Yeah, we'd really like uh, your input if you're if you're uh, if you have a, a statement about the uh, the top ten lists of resell bikes or you have some input on your picks for supercross or anything like that you can email us at powersportspodcast at gmail.com uh, you can also go to our facebook page power sports podcast if you haven't liked the page please go like it and and put your comments there let us know what you're thinking um, if you have uh curiosities about uh, shows that you'd like to hear or events that you'd like us to cover or series that you'd like us to cover um, or more industry information and news that you would like to hear we we, we would love to have your input and uh, we also have a twitter that's power sports talk is our twitter handle so you can go there uh, we have an Instagram. You can find us on Instagram at Power Sports Podcast. We'll be doing more videos. And, of course, when we go out and ride bikes from uh, Iron Nation Harley-Davidson and Eurotech, we'll get some video of those motorcycles as well, as well as photos so you can see what we're out riding. And uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, photos and video from uh, some of our racing and things like that that we do as well. So uh, we we appreciate you tuning in, and welcome to 2017. And uh, hopefully, if you're at least down south, maybe you can get some riding in here before too long. Well, actually, it's supposed to be 67 degrees tomorrow, so it could, it could be a good, good day to pull a bike out around here. But nevertheless, uh, we'll be back next week with another show. We'll talk about the San Diego Supercross. We'll talk about new bikes for 2017 and a whole lot more. For Eric Colvin, I'm Jason Baffrey. This is the Power Sports Podcast, and we are out of here.